Today, I am chatting with registered dietitian Jen Messina, and we are talking about body positive parenting. So, of course, the first thing we talk about is what that actually means. Do you have to be body positive yourself, or is this a parenting technique? We get into that. And then she shares a little bit about intuitive eating for kids and how we can implement that in our households. It's a really interesting conversation, especially for me as somebody who grew up in diet culture and am now working very hard to have a diet-free home where we don't talk talk about our bodies uh, in any kind of negative way whatsoever. We talk about strength and health and all of those things. But it's taken a lot of work. So this conversation was really, really fascinating. And she has a lot of amazing stuff to share about how you can make shifts in your own life and in your own home. So I really hope you enjoy. Here is Jen. Welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child, but I believe it also takes a village to raise a mom. I'm your host, Jillian Benke, the founder of Mom Camp, and each episode I chat with busy moms who are doing awesome things in life and work. Join us for real conversation and community, because this is your village. This is the Around the Campfire podcast. Hello, Jen, and welcome to the Around the Campfire podcast. Hi, so glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Okay, can you start by introducing yourself and who you're a mom to? Awesome. So my name is Jen Messina and I'm a registered dietitian and I'm a mom of two. I've got a three-year-old and a five-year-old, so I've got little people running around. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a busy life, but I'm loving it. Awesome. Okay, so registered dietitian, can you tell us a bit about your professional background and how you got to what you are doing today? Mm-hmm, definitely. So first, I just wanted to kind of clarify, there's, um, you know, in, in our communities, there's lots of different kind of terms for kind of health professionals. Oh, okay. um, registered dietitians would be um, the only ones that are actually registered um, through the provincial government um, as kind of the leaders and experts in nutrition. So if you might see, you know, the one thing I always warn people, like if someone's trying to like sell you something in the health food store and they say that they're a nutritionist, it's not a protected name. So um, just to be wary that um, if it's not a protected name, that means like anyone with like a weekend course on nutrition 101 can call themselves a nutritionist. So really, yeah. So, um, just to make sure that if you are, you know, seeking health advice for you and your family, ask them if they're um, a registered dietitian, um, just to make sure that you're getting kind of the, uh, the best source of nutrition information. And, and often you'll notice that we don't get, like I said, we don't, we're not like selling products. We're not like trying to like rope you into things. So that's another kind of key factor in what I do. So how I came to it. Um, so I always knew I had a real interest in, um, in physiology and in biology, chemistry, all that kind of stuff. Um, but also I love food and I used to teach a kid's cooking class when I was in high school. Um, yeah. So I would implement kind of, I would take these recipes and I would want to somehow make them healthier. Um, but also like if you tell kids something is healthy, then (laughs) they're going to reject it. So I wouldn't really tell them until the end and they would be really involved in the cooking process and they would bring those recipes home and actually make them with their families. So I thought, how can I take like this two, these two loves that I have and combine them? And that actually turned out to be my career. So um, I went into university and I graduated. I was a dietitian by the time I was 22. Wow. Mm-hmm. Just dove right in. Yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. 
All right. So for today, we're going to be focusing on sort of a niche you've discovered of body positive parenting. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean? It Like, is it enough to be body positive yourself? Or how do you how does that translate into being a body positive parent and communicating that to your children? Mm-hmm. So body positive parenting is um, a parenting philosophy that really strives to um, help build um, children's resistance to, or sorry, resilience to outside messages, um, telling them that their bodies aren't right. Um, it also focuses on things like intuitive eating. So um, letting children decide of the foods that you provide, kind of how much they want to eat and listening to their bodies. Um, and it also, you know, you don't have to be there yourself 100%. So I do get that question a lot, like, parents aren't feeling, you know, confident in their bodies. They're not Mm. feeling body positive themselves, but can they still raise a body positive child? Absolutely. So, you know, you're raising them in a way that you're supporting them in developing healthy relationships with food in their body. Um, And like parents and anything, we don't have to be perfect. Um, It's definitely a growing process and you can grow um, with your child together. Um, But yeah, you don't have to be, um, you know, what, you know, perfect kind of parent, um, you know, as the model, but to, to raise kids that feel good in their body and feel good, um, living a diet free life. Would you say though, that a component of it would be to watch your, um, external self-talk, Definitely. you know, um, cause I know I have made a conscious effort since becoming a mom to never verbally criticize my body. I may have those thoughts, You know, every now and then when I look in the mirror or whatever, and I'm not super happy with how things are feeling in the moment, but I never vocalize them. And Mm -hmm. it's been a conscious effort um, because I don't want my kids hearing me being critical of my own body. Mm -hmm, Exactly. So, I mean, there are definitely some steps and um, we are currently, um, by the time this airs, we'll be finishing up our first run of Body Positive Kids, the course. Um, So there's definitely some strategies um, in place to kind of create that safe home environment and the diet-free culture at home um, and help children develop resilience against some of those messages. Um, One of them is looking at how we talk about ourselves. Um, I remember like the kind of like kitschy phrase when I was growing up is, does this make my bum look big? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so moms were, it was normal to be critical of your own body and to talk about your body as if it was too big. And, and that definitely contributes to kids then worrying about their own self-image. And mm-hmm. that happened to me too, like wondering, is my own body too big? You know, and then looking at how I could possibly try to shrink my body, um, right. kind of a little bit of part of my history in terms of how I came to this place is I'm, you know, I came from a dieting household you know, mm-hmm. my was dieting, my mom was dieting, all my aunts were dieting, Slim Fast, Jenny Craig, totally. all, you know, and that was just normalized. Um, and then, you know, thinking about my own self when I started my own, you know, dieting journey in my early teens. Um, so yeah, definitely. I think one of the components is to, is to look at self-talk and to look at how we're talking about our bodies. And I would take it a step further and say, um, you know, if you can't, you know, it's not, it's, you know, it's great to not say negative things about yourself, but also a step further would be, what can you say that's positive about your body? Mm -hmm, Totally. Totally. Say how strong you are or, you know, how, how your arms are, you know, can lift them or you can make it up this big hill and, you know, to kind of take it even that step further, if you're able to, I mean, body neutrality would be kind of the middle ground. Um, but definitely, you know, if you're, if you're there, then looking at, you know, what can you say positively about your body? 
Absolutely. We do that a lot because we're a, a household, well, we're parents that work out. And um, we, you know, we're working out at home. The kids see it. They come in in the morning and like I'm usually uh, lifting some sort of weight or doing some sort of hit move or something at the moment they come in and they see that. And then we, I talk about how I love that my arms are getting stronger and, you know, I can lift that. You know, that's not a problem for me because I work out, you know, <laughs> like it's just mm-hmm. but it's about strength. It's never about size. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I think it's really, really important. And even, I mean, this isn't about the body aspect, but just that self-talk in general, we've really tried to teach our kids and it's hard because our son's been saying this a lot, but when kids, you know, if they make a mistake and they say, Oh, I'm, I'm dumb. I'm stupid. I shouldn't have done that. And we're like, no, it was just a mistake. You're not stupid. Like, don't talk to yourself like that. If you talk to yourself like that, how will you let others talk to you? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. it's the same thing. It's, it's teaching us to be kinder to ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. We always say everyone makes mistakes. Mom makes mistakes. Dad makes mistakes, you know, Um, and that's just normal. And so normalizing that, you know, And I think as parents, we also need to be gentle on ourselves. Like if we feel like we have been talking badly about ourselves in front of our kids, knowing that it's not, you know, quote unquote, too late, like you can turn it around and you can start, you know, making that conscious effort. Like I said, if you can't, if you're not there to like talking positively, but maybe just the body neutrality, like trying to not say the negative things. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Exactly. And just like hearing it and then making steps to stop it. Right. That's, Mm -hmm. it's so important. Okay. I have a question to go back to something you referenced earlier Mm -hmm. about intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. There is a massive truck driving by. I'm sure everybody can hear it. But intuitive eating, can you tell me what that actually means? So intuitive eating, you know, I could do a whole podcast on just intuitive eating. Mm -hmm. I'm going to focus on intuitive eating for kids because that's kind of what our topic is today. Um, So intuitive eating, um, so children are born with the innate sense of knowing exactly how much or how little their body needs to grow and thrive into the body blueprint that's actually right for them. So what that means is that, um, like if you think of like a a newborn baby or a young baby, they will only drink from the breast or the bottle until they're full. And then if you try and feed that baby, like they're not eating anymore, they're done. Um, So, you know, children are born with this sense to know exactly how much or how little they need to grow and thrive. And we never kind of question it in the young, uh, the very young child, but as they get older, parents often try to take that control away from kids and say things like two more bites or you need to have a bite of broccoli before you have a bite of that or mm-hmm. you couldn't possibly want any more bread like you must be full um so we we as parents kind of unfortunately we kind of start to feel like we know best and i mean it's well meaning in the sense that we know that like you know the child's coming to the table you know they must be hungry it's been hours Um, but they say they're not. And then 10 minutes later, they're asking for a snack. So, you know, like as a parent, you know, that they're actually probably hungry, but they're just too busy playing. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, you're well-meaning in that sense, but in taking away that control, we're telling them that we, as the parent know more about their body than they do. Um, right. mm -hmm. So what I try and tell my kids is like, that they are the only ones that know how much their body needs. Similar to like, they're the only ones that know when they have to pee or, you know, go to the bathroom, that they need to listen to the, those signals and and respond in a way and eat enough that they are full. Um, and kind of some tips and tricks that I do to kind of help that process along as I try not to 
um, give them snacks in between. Like I give them, you know, regular meals and snacks. And we try to do that, you know, meals about every four hours, snacks in between. But um, I don't let them graze all day long. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's kind of setting them up for failure in terms of then they come to the table and then they're probably not hungry, but then they're hungry at kind of like an inappropriate time, like in between meals. Um, Right. So that's a little bit about um, intuitive eating for kids. And so generally I try to, we don't need to really do anything. We just need to preserve their feeling of fullness and hunger and listen to what they're saying um, and and respect it and honor it. Um, So that's, you know, for intuitive eating, it is trying to help them listen to their body's wisdom um, and and eat it accordingly. Okay. But then, so I'm going to use my own growing up and, you know, body experience, (laughs) but, and for me um, with emotional eating and stress eating, I Mm -hmm. will continue to eat something because it tastes good. Mm-hmm. even past the point. And now I'm better at it now, I will say, but for many, many years, I would continue past the point of fullness because either I was having an emotional eating episode or mm-hmm. I just liked the taste and needed to feel that taste in my mouth some more, mm-hmm. even though I was past the point of full. Mm-hmm. My daughter amazes me every day because she will just stop eating when she's had enough, even though it's something she absolutely adores Mm-hmm. She will stop eating when she's had enough, but then, and, and a reasonable amount, but then the kid can also put away an entire sushi special, which is the same amount meat we eat. Mm-hmm. Or like last night, she loves refried beans. We were having tacos. She ate almost an entire can of refried beans just, and kept going, but she wasn't full. Like she, because I know she doesn't eat past the point of full because mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's 10 and for 10 years she has just stopped when she's done. Mm-hmm. So it's, she seems to have it sort of nailed and we, we don't push it at all. But with our son, it's, I don't know if it's that he misreads his body cues. Sometimes he says he's full when there's no human way he could be full because he hasn't had enough food. Mm-hmm. And I think he just wants to be away from the table mm-hmm. or he keeps eating, even though he could not possibly consume any more for the size of his stomach. So, I mean, how do you sort of reconcile a child that may not be reading their body signals accurately, or there may be something else behind it? Well, I mean, the, the first kind of thing that I would do is just make sure, check with your doctor that there's nothing kind of going on, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, you know, for medical, there are some conditions um, that can cause like inappropriate signals. Um, majority, that's very, very rare in their genetic conditions. So generally someone in the family would have it. Um, for kids, I think that some periods of time they're going to eat more and some periods of time they're going to gain, they're mm-hmm. not gonna eat as much. So I think um, we need to trust that they know how much their body needs. And so during periods of growth, they may eat like more than we think is humanly possible. <laughs> like my daughter. <laughs> and then other times he will literally eat nothing. So right. I think as long as your child is following their growth curve in terms of um, like there's the growth curve on, you can find it online um, and you can find it for different ages. So there's one from zero to two and there's one for two to 18. So mm. I would encourage parents to just have a look at that if they're concerned. Um, so some children will grow, um, you know, consistently along, say the second percentile. Um, so, you know, if that's your child and that's their blueprint, they might just need less energy to fuel their body if they're just a smaller mm. Um, so if they're growing consistently along their growth curve, then I'm not worried as a dietitian. Where I become worried is when kids start jumping from, say, the second 
to the 20th to the 80th, you know, right. the chart. So then we look at like what is happening in their life that may be causing them to inappropriately use food as a coping strategy, which comes up a lot as, as adults, because as adults, we have used food as a coping strategy, like you were talking about. Um, and, you know, there are lots of ways to kind of work on that as a parent, but if it's a child, I see it a lot, a very, a lot less often. So mm-hmm. the first thing I would do is definitely checking the growth curve. If they're on their curve and they're meeting their milestones in terms of everything like is normal, then I wouldn't worry about, um, them being, I would just try and really be rigid about the, the, um, hours of meal times and closing the kitchen. I call it closing the kitchen after meals for, you know, one to two hours after so that they're yeah. not closing on like goldfish crackers in between and then they're not hungry for dinner. No, we use the language closing the kitchen after a meal is done. But do mm-hmm. you recommend sort of extending it a little bit past the meal or well, you know because our we- son will invariably want a snack shortly after dinner is done. So I would close it for at least an hour. Okay. So because what happens then is that they if they a lot of times the snack foods are like quote better foods. Like they like them more, right? They're like tastier, yeah. Or, you know, crunchy or sweet or whatever. So, um, you know, my kids like point at the cupboard, like they just mm. think the cupboard and start pointing and I'm like, Nope, the kitchen's still closed. So, you know, I close it for your son because he's, you know, not maybe eating as much. Maybe you open it, you, you know, open it after an hour so okay. that after an hour later you say, yeah, like we can have a snack, but you know, if they're coming in 15 minutes later, then likely they're, um, they're just kind of using your generosity to get something better that they want to eat. Right. Or it's a habit that they've just mm-hmm. developed and built and they just, you know, they want, or they're bored or, you know, uh, there's okay. a whole bunch of reasons I'm sure. Mm-hmm, definitely. Awesome. Okay. So there have been really great moves lately, especially towards body positivity in social media to mm-hmm. some degree media, but I would say still media is full of messages and images of a body image that isn't necessarily attainable or even reasonable. Mm -hmm. And that whole thing of, you know, smaller is better or what have you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, How so you were talking earlier about resilience. So how can Mm -hmm. we help our kids build resilience against these messages and then sort of create their own filters when they see those messages? Definitely. So I mean, it depends on the age of your kids. So I mean, for my kids, like I really, um, I monitor like what they watch. They're young right. enough to monitor what they watch on TV. So um, I don't let them watch anything that's, to be honest, I don't let them watch anything that has commercials because I find that, you know, if you look at statistics on how the amount of commercials on food um, and sugary food, mm. 75% of the commercials. So I mean, being vigilant around the media that they're looking at. Um, other things like, I mean, my daughter came home yesterday and she had made a collage from magazines the teacher had brought in and smack in the middle is a girl who clearly has an eating disorder. Um, Five-year-old has chopped her out of the magazine and pasted her on her art project as like, you know, this like beautiful, like just like with shoes and different things. Like, so, I mean, I'm going to have to like, you know, I am going to talk to the teachers about kind of, a you know, the, because the thing is, is that all these magazines like shape and self and whatever mm-hmm. all those fitness magazines, they are these unrealistic body types that are actually, you know, unhealthy. And that um, those models are actually, you know, they don't actually even look like that. Those people, they have totally 
airbrushing and filters and things like that. So I think really as parents, we can do a couple things. One thing is we can model for them what a healthy body looks like by showing them our own body. So wearing shorts, wearing mm-hmm. a suit, um, talking about our body positively. Um, like my son said to me the other day, he said, why is your stomach? Why does it look like that? Because it's, it's a mom's stomach, right? It's got some wrinkles and rolls. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, you know, I talked to him about, I grew you in my belly and everyone's belly looks a little bit different and that sort of thing. So I think talking to them about like showing them what a normal body looks like and a mm-hmm. normal healthy body. Um, I think, uh, getting them to be curious about what they see in the media as well. So, you know, my daughter's not there yet, but it's when she gets a little older, we'll talk about, you know, when she sees things on Instagram or other social profiles, um, you know, do you think that that girl actually looks like that? And like, mm-hmm. you can them, like I love Dove has a great video, um, on, um, on beauty and you can click on it and watch like the transition from this regular looking person to this absolutely stunning model and how, what, what, t- what it takes to get her there. So like showing them these messages that, you know, be wary of what you see and, you know, why would that company, for example, if you see this model, why are, like, what are they trying to sell you? Like mm-hmm. so people of the media that they see, well, if they make you feel bad about say your thighs, then you might want to buy the thigh cream. Or if you feel bad about, you know, your skin or whatever it is, and just trying to get them to be critical on some of the media that they do see. Totally. And, um, building like a diet free house at home where you're not talking about dieting, not talking about people's body shapes or sizes, not commenting on who's gained weight over, over, you know, the pandemic mm-hmm. or not. Um, and if they do notice, like they will notice like that person has a larger body. Um, you know, then we can talk about that. Yeah. Everybody is different. Some bodies are big and some are small. Like, you know, everybody's a little bit different and that's normal. Right. It's, it's, it's so interesting. Like you said, the way we grew up, right. It was such common language to talk about body shapes and sizes in a derogatory way, whether it be yourself or somebody else's, or, you know, Mm -hmm. just because there was this value placed on a certain shape, I guess. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I have been, I have been so conscious of, we don't let sort of those, um, statements sort of come into our world a little Mm -hmm. bit like Mm -hmm. I grew up with them you know and it we don't if if uh, my son makes some comment and he's just observing and he has no filter uh, you know and he's just he's not meaning to be unkind but he'll say something and we'll say well no we don't talk about it that way like that's just what this is and you know yeah um but it's it's interesting. My daughter was in the bathroom with me the other day, and we have a bunch of magazines in there. And I saw an ad for mascara, mm-hmm. and I was looking at the woman's eyelashes, and I was like, "There is no way that is real." And in this tiny print, because they have to, but it's in tiny print down the side. It says, "Model is wearing lash extensions." Oh really? Oh that's oh good. yeah. And so I said, "Check this out." Because, you know, we were saying like, oh, this mascara must be really good. But I said, they want you to believe it's good, but it's not real. And mm-hmm. so and then it sort of led to this conversation about how you sort of have to check and and ask yourself, why are they selling me this? And mm-hmm. is what they're showing me actually what they're offering? And is that what's going to what I'm going to come away with? Right. Mm-hmm, definitely. So like, benefiting from you feeling bad about yourself. Yeah. Well, that's that's the other side of it is are they telling you that you're not good enough? 
mm-hmm. because you don't have lashes like that or you don't have a body like that or smooth mm-hmm. size or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'll admit, I mean, it's still hard for me to wear the bathing suit or, you know, and I still don't wear a bikini. And But I have started wearing shorts this summer. Yay. Um, yeah, it's All like right. I've been – I wear capris 90% of the year. Just I like shorter jeans. Like it's just – what I do. Um, but I have started wearing cutoff shorts and, um, my daughter actually noticed and she's like, and then she went and got her cutoff shorts. And so now we're wearing shorts together, like as, you know, buddies, little jean short buddies. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, it's 45 years of overcoming body (laughs) messaging. So Mm -hmm, I'm, I'm still getting through it, but, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's just such an interesting, important topic. Okay, so um, how would a mom start working on this? Like, would she take your course? Like, would she, is there a first step she can take? Is it watching that language that she says about herself? Mm-hmm. So I think, I mean, if you're interested in learning more, like the course is really like going to help you dive deep into it. Um, but you don't have to, like the course is going to be on a wait list for the following fall. Mm fall um, when this airs. So um, you can definitely start by one of the first things I like to to tell families to do is to look at your own social media, look at who, what, who, and what you're surrounding yourself with Mm. and start deleting people that are making you feel bad about yourself or your body. So are they, you know, like these fitspo models and like, you know, you don't shame your way into feeling healthy, right? So start deleting. I think as a mom, you can start deleting those accounts that don't feel good for you. Um, and then again, like shows that are not feeling like if you're watching shows that are making you feel bad about yourself, those are probably things you don't need to be watching. So surround yourself with positive, um, people, positive messages, people of different shapes, sizes, colors that have something important to say that has nothing to do with their body. Right. Um, or if it is to do with their body, maybe they're showing you and normalizing normal bodies and maybe totally. that's what you need to kind of support the first steps. Then I think it's looking at how can I start to talk about my body, either stop talking about my body in a negative way or look at starting to talk about and think about my body in a positive way because that all rubs off on your kids. Um, the other thing is dieting is is really hard. So it's hard for kids to see mom on keto mm. um, they are getting like the pasta dinner. So it's like, well, why is the pasta okay for me, but not for you? Right. Totally. So, um, you know, the next thing I would be looking at is, is trying to break away from the culture of dieting. And if you need support, I mean, I'm here on Instagram, you can find me or you can find me in North Vancouver at my clinic. Um, Like if you need some support around, around breaking the cycle of dieting, because what we know is that moms that diet have daughters that diet and Mm. they have moms that diet and it goes down and down and down. So, I mean, if we think about our history with our own families, like I was saying, like my mom was dieting, my grandma, like it's been handed down generation to generation. So if you want to, you know, have a generation for your kids with, you know, feeling better about their body and not dieting, then the first step is to stop dieting yourself. And I'm not saying kind of like, you know, just throw it all to the wind (laughs) all day and, and pizza, you know, you might want to eat those foods, but I think it's feeling good about your choices in terms of nourishing your way, nourishing your body in a way that feels like respectful to your body. Mm-hmm. To How is your body going to function its best? So looking at what can you put in, I like to look at always what can we add in rather than what, what are we taking away? Because totally, I find yeah. 
that, you know, maybe it's adding, you know, an extra glass of water. Like maybe it's, you know, having that extra serving of fruit or taking time to do some meal prep because you know that it's going to make your life easier. So, you know, those are kind of first steps around um, body positive parenting. Um, And then definitely looking into um, accounts that support, like you can even look at the hashtag like body positive parenting and find Mm. um, accounts that um, there's a really another great podcast that I love to listen to. Um, It's called the full bloom project. um, And it's run by two um, eating disorder specialists. So their whole background is trying to prevent eating disorders, um, Uh young people. So they have a really great podcast that they take a lot of different experts um, and talk to them about what is body positive parenting mean. Um, And nutrition is a component of it for sure. But there are like other things to, you know, movement and um, kind of addressing your own, you know, issues around food, all of that kind of comes into play. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about movement for a minute. How do you encourage your kids to be moving on a daily basis? I think since we hit the pandemic time, um, we were really good at getting them out for walks every day, but then we kind of got into this pattern. My work picked up, my husband's work picked up and we weren't as vigilant about it. Um, so they would some days just stay inside the whole time and not really move their bodies. So Mm -hmm. how do you encourage it in a positive way? Mm -hmm. So I think the first thing is to talk about it as movement instead of exercise. I think totally exercise gets a bad name because it's typically associated with like punishment. Well, and Um, hard work. Yeah. And like making it, so it could be anything from sometimes we have like dance parties, like we'll just put on some fun music and have dance parties. Sometimes we go to the, we take our bikes and we just go to the park and play bike tag. Like some Mm. days we go for walks like, and my kids are little, so it's easier for me because I have more control over them in terms of like, they can't go anywhere without me. So right. you know, they can't like, if I'm going, they're going like anywhere that I go. So mm-hmm. but I think trying to make it fun and make it um, just a part of daily living. Like we have a big soccer field near us. So we take the ball out and play soccer or we have like a little T-ball set. So it's running around the field. So it's less like, you know, a class or a course. And it's more like trying to make it just like an organic part of our family's culture. Right. It's Um, play versus work too. Definitely. Definitely. So if they see it like that, I think they're more likely to buy into it. Um, But it is more work for parents, right? Because sometimes parents will say, well, I'm tired. Like I have, I've worked all day. The last thing I want to do is kick the ball. Exactly. But then it's hard to expect that from your kids too, right? I think um, we have to be realistic. Like we're not going to put our kid on like the treadmill, right. um, you know? So I think if, if it's not a priority for you, um, it's a challenge to make it a priority for them because they yeah. don't see it as something that's important for you. Um, so how can you in- encourage, how can you be, how can you move your own body in a way that's joyful for you? Um, and then bringing them into however that, whatever that looks like. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. All right. I have a couple of questions that I ask almost all of my guests. Mm-hmm. So um, first one is how do you define balance as a mom or do you, some people don't believe it exists. So what does that look like for you? Um, you know what? I'm, a, I'm an entrepreneur as well. So I find that this is a really tricky thing um, mm-hmm. because my, because I used to work in a clinical setting where it was like nine to five, like those are my hours, turn off, turn off the computer. But now clients will message me at all times of the day. And I'm so tempted to be like, 
message them back or like I get, you know, messages on my social profiles. So um, I'm really trying to um, do a bit of like a, like a, like a quiet Sunday, like have, have balance in terms of finding time that I literally have to put my phone away. I have to, because otherwise I find that it's really hard for me to um, balance my work life because Mm -hmm. I'm always kind of on. Um, So I really have to take the time and just prioritize like not having my phone around me in terms to try and get a bit of balance in terms of totally having that time with my kids to, to not be distracted by anything. Yeah, just be present for them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's hard though. I mean, because I think like as moms, like we have like, we're always like multitasking, right? So totally. It's, it's, it's a, it's something that I'm still working on. So maybe yeah. I'll learn more from other moms on here. How to best find balance. Yeah, it's and it's been interesting to hear the the vast varied uh, responses to the question. But I think the thing that I'm coming away with really is it is a matter of flow and not like balanced or not balanced. It's always in in motion, right? Is really sort of that central theme that I'm coming away with. Even the people that don't believe in balance actually believe in balancing things out. Mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's all in in how you sort of frame it for yourself mm-hmm. all right so I think I know the answer to this but I would love to hear your take on it do you make time for self-care and what does that look like for you so self-care for me like looks like time away from my family like I love mm-hmm. them bits, but like I am with them a lot I'm the primary caregiver for both my kids um, so self-care to me is having like doing some kind of movement that's pleasurable for me whether that be doing right now, I used to do yoga in the studio, but now I do it online. So whether that's doing like an online course, which I love yoga with Adrian, she's mm. awesome. There's like 10 minute yoga classes. If you need like a quick 10, 20, 30, 40, whatever you need. So awesome. um, yeah, I love that. Or for me, a lot of times is really getting out into nature. Um, I just, I live right near the edge of the woods here. So I just put on my music and just go. So I need that time to kind of decompress and wind down. And that's really how I take care of me um, is to have that time that I'm, I'm just moving my body in a way that feels good. I love that. That's great. All right. What is the biggest lesson you have learned as a mom? So I think we have all these preconceived notions as to like what motherhood is going to look like. <laughs> So true. What is going to be like? What our babies are going to be like? What our lives are going to look like? Um, so I think what I've learned is that you cannot predict or plan for a lot, and that you just need to really slow down and j- enjoy like the process. Like sometimes mm. we plan for like we're going to go to the park and we're going to go to the forest and do this and that, and, and then we get tripped up and we're just looking at puddles. Like we just spend like two hours like playing with puddles. And so I think letting go of like expectations in terms of what you think mm-hmm. you want to achieve and, and just let it be and not have to like force it because sometimes kind of the greatest experiences come from letting go. So true. I love that. I love that. I might have to capture that in a quote card because that was just lovely. Awesome. Yeah, it's hard, but I mean, it really is like, I, I learned from my kids, like they can sometimes we just like sit in the garden and look at like a snail crawl around. And Mm -hmm. so that's enough. So here I am like before, I mean, it's easier now because we used to have all of these like courses and classes and things like that. But now it's like, everything's a little bit slowed down and you're like, Oh, this isn't so bad. Like, yeah. 
Yeah, it's not so bad after all. Totally. All right. How can our listeners connect with you? Where is the best place to find you online, website, all of the things? So probably the easiest, I'm most active on my Instagram profile, which is just Jen, the dietitian um, and Jen with two N's Um, Mm -hmm. and dietitian is spelled with a T um, because we're, it's like the French spelling. So it's just dietitian with a T. Um, And I'm also on Facebook under North Vancouver dietitian. Um, And then you can find me on my website, um, which is just my name, jenmessina.com. Um, so you can find me any of those ways. Um, I probably won't respond to you on a Sunday because I'm trying to get <laughs> about that, but otherwise I'm pretty responsive. So I'm happy to, you know, connect with you via voicemail or, or messaging, um, by email. Um, I get a lot of, um, uh, clients have like great questions and I think that really, uh, brings new levels to my kind of social platforms because I get a lot of my material from from what the clients are actually asking about. Yeah, my mom too. So sometimes it's just like, what am I doing in different situations with regards to food and and trial and error. Awesome, awesome. I will link to all of those places in the show notes, and then you also will have a course coming up in the fall, right after so, this one launches. So yeah, so we're doing our um. So right now it's the summer. We're doing our very first beta test for our body positive kids and our course is just about full. So we have like, you know, one or two spaces we're hoping to fill. Um, but for the fall, we're going to run our second course and there's going to be a wait list on my website. So if you're interested in the launch dates for that, you can just put your name in and then you'll get an email from me when the, when the course dates are finalized. Perfect. Perfect. That's super helpful. Okay. Awesome. Well, this has been such a valuable, valuable episode. I just think, This is such an important topic, and I think a lot of moms struggle with body positivity in general, but then maybe aren't considering how it could translate to their kids, or they they are, but they're not sure where to start. So I think this is just Mm -hmm. such awesome information, and you are so good at what you do. So I really thank you for your time being here today. Well, thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here, and um, I love what you're doing and helping moms, you know, all over the place. So I'm a big fan and I'm excited to see um, what your new speakers come out with next. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jen. You're welcome. All right, mamas, that's it for today. For more info about this episode, you can check out the show notes at momcamplife.com slash podcast. Hang out with us on Instagram at momcamplife. And if you love this episode, please share it with your friends. Thank you so much for tuning in and join us next time around the campfire.